You're listening to How to Win with Mike Moore, the podcast that provides you with practical insights on how to win in every arena of life. Hello, I'm Mike Moore, and welcome to the How to Win podcast. I am so excited to have you with us today. Listen, we're going to have a great time today. This is our leadership edition of the How to Win podcast. And listen, we have one purpose. I have one purpose in these leadership podcasts, and that is to inspire you and equip you to to lead on a high level. Whatever level you're on in leadership, whatever arena of leadership, listen, these lessons are going to bless you. We began a series entitled Leading Yourself leading yourself. The background text for this series is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. The apostle Paul, the great apostle, is preaching and and he's encouraging and exhorting his son Timothy in the ministry. So in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, he says to Timothy in the New King James Version, he says, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Continue in the doctrine. Continue in in saving others. But notice the order is important. The order is important. He says, take heed to yourself. Take heed to yourself. Then the doctrine. In other words, our teaching should be an extension of who we are. Then he says, if you continue then you will save yourself and then you'll save others who hear you. Now notice the importance and the priority of self-care. We're talking about leading yourself. And leading yourself is the number one step, the first step in successfully leading others. You're not going to successfully lead others if you're not leading yourself first. It's going to be your greatest challenge because as leaders, we tend to look outside of ourselves and we don't focus on ourselves. But in this part of the series, we're dealing with self now, there are four parts to this series, Leading Yourself. Part one, we're, we're dealing with personal self-awareness. We're dealing with second part is personal integrity. Third part, personal discipline. And then the fourth part, personal growth. We're in part one. We're talking about personal awareness, or you could say self-awareness. Personal awareness has to do with studying yourself. And all through this series, I want you to be evaluating yourself. When I put these lessons together, I really was thinking about my leadership, how I can improve my leadership, maybe areas of weakness in my leadership, areas of strength in my leadership. And so I self-evaluated, and that's what I want you to do throughout this series. In lesson one, 
we talked about and discussed internal self-awareness and external self-awareness. In lesson two, we began to talk about the avenues of self-awareness, the avenues. There are four avenues of self-awareness. And we, in our last session, in lesson two, we talked about avenue number one, personality traits or predispositions. That was a good lesson. You can go back online and you can listen to that lesson. Well, in this lesson, this is our third lesson on personal awareness or self-awareness. This is our third lesson. And we want to move out to our second avenue of self-awareness. And in this second avenue, we're going to talk about strengths and struggles. Say that. Strengths and struggles. Why don't you say that again? Strengths and struggles. This is the second avenue of self-awareness. Now, I want to review something. We brought a spiritual leader in the early church to our forefront in our last lesson. We talked about Barnabas. He was a leader in the early church. He comes on the scene in Acts chapter 4, and he gives this gift, this, this huge gift. He sold some land, gave, the huge, gave a huge gift to the apostles to make distribution to those who had need. So we, he's called the son of encouragement. And then we see him again in Acts chapter uh, 9, verse 27. It is Barnabas who vouches for Saul, who later became Paul, and gave the early church leaders confidence to welcome Paul. They thought he was not converted. They thought he was uh, trying to trap them and trick them into the inner circle and then imprison them. But it was Barnabas who gave these leaders confidence to welcome uh, Saul, who later became Paul. We see Barnabas appear again in Acts chapter 11. And I, I misquoted in lesson one, so I want you to go back. I said in Acts chapter uh, 9, 23 through 26, which, which was a misquote. It was really Acts chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. Rather than Acts 9, 23 through 26, I quoted that in our last lesson. It should have been Acts chapter 11, verse 23 through 26. So there's a great revival that hit the Gentile world. Down in Antioch, the power of God exploded and the apostles in the church of Jerusalem sent Barnabas to confirm that this was the work of the Lord. He came there to Antioch, saw the hand of God, commended it, encouraged the saints there, and many people were brought to the Lord. In this same chapter, Acts chapter 11, Barnabas went to Tarsus to bring Saul who later became Paul, to this great move of God. And the Bible says they served Barnabas and uh, Saul, 
who later became Paul, they served in this new church, the first Christian church at Antioch. So in Acts 13, we see Barnabas, we see Paul or Saul, we see them serving as leaders, apostles and teachers, the Bible called them, leading in this church, prophets and teachers leading in this church at Antioch. And in Acts 13, the Spirit of God moved and said, separate Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I've sent them. So Saul, who later became Paul, began their first missionary journey. Now, let's fast forward to the beginning of their second missionary journey. The Apostle Paul and Barnabas were serving in the church. They had gone out on the first missionary journey. They had come back to the local church, their church, their home church, shared what the great things God had done. Now watch this. In Acts 15, 35 through 41, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and look at all the communities and cities where we preach and let's see how they're doing, the new converts are doing. Let's see how they're doing. Now, Barnabas was in agreement with going back and seeing how the churches were doing and how the people and the believers were doing because God had moved mightily. But Barnabas wanted to take his nephew, John Mark, along with them. Well, John Mark had left them on their first missionary journey, got homesick, went back uh, to, to went back to home, back home, Jerusalem. Well, Barnabas, he was related to John Mark, and he wanted to take his nephew again on this missionary journey. Paul said, no, we're not going to do that. Paul insisted, we are not going to take him. He left us on the first missionary journey. We're not going to take him. And Paul insisted that we're not going to take him, but Barnabas was determined to take John Mark. And the Bible said the contention was so strong. This is Acts 15, 35 through 41. The contention was so strong, so sharp that they separated from each other. Two men, two leaders in the church, Barnabas and Paul, who the Holy Spirit had part, brought into partnership, they separated from each other, fell out with each other, and went separate ways. Barnabas took John Mark, and Paul took Silas. They separated, even though God had brought them together. That's the context. I wanted you to see both Barnabas I wanted you to see Paul, now teammates in the first missionary journey, sent out by the Holy Spirit, and the beginning of the second missionary journey, they had an argument, they fell out, they separated, they chose separate partners, and they went their separate ways. We have no proof from the Scripture that they ever came back together and worked together. Now, with that in mind, let's talk. We remember this is our leadership edition. Let's talk about strengths and struggles. 
This is our second avenue, strengths and struggles. Come on, say that, strengths and struggles. I'm talking about strengths and struggles in relations to how they, strengths and struggles, affect our work. How do strengths and struggles affect our leadership? How do strengths and struggles affect our teamwork and all of our relationships? And whether you realize it or not, we all have strengths. We all have struggles. And when we're in a teaming environment, our strengths and our struggles will impact our leadership and our relationships in those team group settings. So strengths, when we talk about strengths, our strengths push us forward. You have strengths. You have positive things or skill sets. Strengths, they push you forward. But you also have struggles. Now, struggles hold us back. Strengths, struggles. For every strength, this is so important now, and we want to pull in Barnabas, pull in Paul, and this falling out that they had. Watch this. For every strength that you have, there's usually a corresponding struggle. And we're talking about self-awareness. You need to be aware of not just your strengths, you need to be aware of your struggles because for every strength, there's usually a corresponding struggle. And I'm going to give you an example in a moment. A struggle. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to make a note of this or make a mental note. A struggle not managed will be experienced by others as a weakness. I'll say that again. A struggle not managed. We all have struggles. For every strength, there's a corresponding struggle. But a struggle not managed will be experienced by others as a weakness. And remember, leadership is about leading others, others. We're saying that we should lead ourselves so we should be aware of our strength. We should be aware of our struggles. Now, let's do a case study. Let's allow me to give you an example. And I want to pull in the great apostle Paul and I want to pull in Barnabas and normally... When God connects us to individuals and normally in team situations and great organizations are built off teams, great businesses are built off teams. Now, follow me. The Apostle Paul was what, <coughs> pardon me, the Apostle Paul is what I would call a take charge leader. A take charge leader. A take, let's look at the strengths of a take charge leader. 
A take charge leader usually is result oriented. Result oriented. A take charge leader is usually decisive. They can make decisive decisions. They can make difficult, hard decisions and run with it. A dis a take charge leader is usually usually act with a confidence and a and assurance. Act with confidence and assurance. When we look at these strengths of the take charge leader, and we look at the Apostle Paul, we see that he's result oriented. He's decisive and he acts with assurance and confidence. Now, here's the issue, though, and here's the issue that we deal with. We may be a take charge leader and we may have strengths, but we may have also we usually will have struggles with those strengths. Remember what we said for every strength, there's usually a corresponding struggle. So let's look at Paul's struggles in most take charge leader struggles. Yes, they are result oriented, but their struggle is they're usually opinionated and impatient. Now think about that. You got this strength on one hand, you results oriented. You get the job done. Give me the assignment. I will get the job done. You tell me what the goal is. I'll lead my team. We will get the job done. And think about all the result oriented leaders who are very, very good at getting the job done but they also have weaknesses or struggles. I like struggle better than weaknesses. They have struggles. They are usually opinionated and they're usually impatient with others. I don't have time to be wasting time. I don't have time to be waiting on you to get your stuff in. I don't have time. You can't do it. I'll get somebody else. So this person may get the job done, but usually they're going to have some casualties along the way. A second uh, strength of the take charge leader is they're decisive, decisive. They can make a decision quick. They don't have to mull around with it forever. They are decisive. This is the way we need to go. But the struggle along with that strength is they may not listen well to others. Now think about it. You're leading a team, but you don't listen well to others. They act with assurance. They act with confidence. But they also have the struggle of being uncomfortable, taking directions from others. And I don't care what area of leadership you're in, there are times, especially as you're a part of a team, you have to be willing to not just give orders and give directions. You have to be willing to listen to others. You have to be willing. And so we got this strength and we got these struggles. 
Now, when we team this take charge leader with a leader like Barnabas, Okay, and in our last lesson, we talked about those strengths. Barnabas is encouraging. Barnabas has this positive nature. Barnabas has the empathetic understanding. But these strengths also have struggles. So Barnabas may have a struggle that corresponds to his strengths. Barnabas, even though he's encouraging, he may struggle empathetic, understanding, positive, he may struggle with confrontation. There are some leaders, they struggle with confrontation. They also struggle with accountability. Oh, they're going to get the job with none. Oh, come on, let's take John Mark with him. He's going to be better this time. No accountability. And they uh, struggle Sometimes leaders struggle making a hard decision. Maybe we need to reassign John Mark. Maybe we need to fire John Mark. So if you got a leader who has this bent over here, positive, encouraging, understanding, empathetic, then you have, usually these people have the struggles with this other side of it. Now, when you put this high energy, take charge leader with this person that are more relationship based, you're going to have some conflict. And that's what happened in the situation. And in a sense, watch this. They were both right. They were both right. I think that if they had personal awareness or self-awareness, understanding their strength and their struggles, understanding their teammates' strengths and struggles, I believe they could have massaged it and worked it out. And I think that happens all the time in leadership settings. You have leaders that have strengths and struggles and they're teamed up with other leaders that have strengths and struggles. And because they both individuals or groups lack self-awareness, usually there's a falling out, there's conflict and they don't manage the conflict well. And sometimes there's separation that should not be there are individuals that maybe God put together in marriage or God put together at work or God put together in business, but because they lack self-awareness of their own strengths and struggles and then other strengths and struggles, they don't manage the situation very well and they often are defeated in that situation. That's our second avenue of, of self-awareness strengths and struggles. Let's take this same Bible scenario context and let's move over now into the third avenue. There are four avenues of personal self-awareness. The third avenue is leadership balance. Come on, say that leadership balance. Let's bring back into the same scenario, Acts 15, 35 to 41, this big blowout, this big agreement between the apostle Paul and Barnabas. Let's bring them back to the. So let's talk about leadership balance. 
Leadership balance defined, we could say, is leadership bent. B-E-T-N-T. Say that. Leadership bent. Say it one more time. Leadership bent. Now, watch this. Leadership balance involves balancing mission and people. Balancing, say this after me, mission and people. Come on, say it again. This leadership balance, this is the third avenue of personal awareness, leadership balance. It involves balancing mission and people. Balancing mission, people. Balancing mission, people. Balancing mission, people. Let's add to that. It's balancing mission or the results with people relationships. So you're balancing results on one hand, we want results in any organization, business, profit, nonprofit. You want results. And as a leader, you want results. But you have to balance the results with the relationships. Mission is the result. Relationships is the people side. You have to balance both sides, the people side and the results side. And many leaders are not good at balancing both sides. And that's where you're going to be successful. You got to get some results, but you got to develop people. You got to work through people. You got to work with people. You got to manage people. Those sides of it. Now, a survey was taken. And in this survey, 40% of the leaders who took the survey had a results-oriented bent. Results or oriented bent or mission bent. They had that bent. They they all had positive natural talents, but 40% of those took the test, they had a bent toward results, a bent toward mission, a bent toward getting things done. Now, this individual leader is big picture minded, a visionary. This person has a strong focus on tasks. We're going to get the job done, tasks. This person is analytical. This person is goal-oriented. This person is focused. We know where we're going. We know what our assignment. We're going to get the job done. We're going to cross the hill. We're going to take captive the enemy. We know what we're going to do. They set standards. They set expectations. They hold people accountable. This is a Results-oriented person, okay? And 40% of the people fell in that category. Another 40% of the people were relationship-oriented. They were relationship-oriented. They possess, like the results-oriented people, they possess positive natural talents. But they were relationship-oriented. Let's look at this person. These are good listeners. These listener, these leaders are good listeners. They're open to the ideas of other people. They're open to the ideas of their subordinates. They're open to the ideas of their fellowship. They care. 
They are concerned. They connect well. Watch this. They are concerned about the fellowship. They connect with the fellowship. They are uh, connect with their subordinates. They care. These individuals trust people to do their job. They don't be meddling, jumping in there, trying to do the work, telling the person everything they got to do. They are trust people. They give the person their job description. They collaborate around goals and they let the people run with. They let the people do their job. They're supportive. They're helpful. They take time to develop the people. They empower others. Now, you can see a vast difference. These individuals, they merciful. They give encouragement. They give positive feedback. That's a vast difference between the results-oriented because the results-oriented, big picture-minded, strong focus on the tasks, Analytical, goal-oriented, focus on the task, setting standards, setting expectations, holding people accountable. But most people don't have this relationship-oriented side. Now, you can see the problem we have. That's why it's called leadership balance. That's why this area, this avenue of personal awareness, you need to know that you're results-oriented. You need to know that's your bent, that, that's your style, that's, that's your way you lead, your results. You need to know that. But you also need to know that you are not primarily relationship-oriented. You need to know that. And you need to know if you're relationship-oriented, but you're not result-oriented. You need to know that. You need to know that. Why? Why do you need to know it? Because you want to gain balance as a leader. You want to gain balance. This is the key to leadership development. You want to grow, okay? I'm results-oriented, but you want to grow in relationship-oriented, okay? You're relationship-oriented, but you want to grow in being result-oriented. In other words, it's the key to development. Balance, balancing both sides. So there has to be some intentionality. There has to be some commitment to embrace behaviors that are not natural. They're not natural, but they're essential. Now, listen, as I close, you're not going to be highly effective. And remember, just because you're getting results, temporary results, doesn't mean you're doing it right. Okay, you're just getting results. But people, high turnover rate, conflict in your area, people are changing, leaving, they don't want to work for you. Yet, when you look, you get stuff done. But there's a trail of bodies along the way. On the other hand, maybe you just a good people person, but you're not getting anything done. You, you, you got this people thing down, but you're not getting results. So what we want and what we're working on is balance. Results orientation oriented, 
relationship oriented. We need balance. And in order to have that, we have to know that it exists. We have to know these two sides exist. We have to know where we are on both sides. We have to be intentional and committed to developing ourselves on the other side. And we have to operate in ways that are not natural for us. We may not naturally be relationship oriented. We may not naturally be results oriented, but if we're going to grow and develop our leadership capacity, we have to know where we are and then we have to work on this area and get some balance because that's how you're going to be an effective long-term leader. And it's possible to lead people and they like you. It is very possible. You can lead people and they love following you. And I think every leader should want that. People under them that enjoy their leadership. Thank you so very much. This ends this lesson. I pray that you have a successful week. You want to go back and listen to this is good stuff. Look forward to seeing you next time.